Welcome to the Mad Dad Movie Review, a podcast full of first-time movie reviews starring Mads and her dad. Hi, Mads. And I'm her dad, and this is Mad Dad Movie Review. day another time another podcast welcome back to another exciting episode of the halloween Horathon. my name is ed and today i'm talking about halloween 2 from 1981 but first how you guys doing <laughs> i mean you know life's pretty much just trucking along as usual it's been the same since, when was the last time I talked to you guys? Friday? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a good weekend. I actually uh, recorded an episode earlier today with Madeline. Um, we did our, we finally knocked out our top 10. So I will be editing and releasing that episode later on this week. Um, it'll kind of be a surprise, so look out for that. I'm not going to let you guys know when, but it will be this week. Other than that, I hope everyone is enjoying their Halloween season because we only get it one time a year, and this is that time. It is the evening of October 11th as of this recording, so we have 20 days until the big one. Um, so yeah, let's just jump into this movie. But first, I want to let everyone know that they can listen to previous episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, and wherever else you enjoy your favorite shows. You can follow us on Facebook.com at Mad Dad Movie Review, Instagram.com at Mad Dad Movie Review, YouTube.com at Mad Dad Movie Review, and Twitter.com at Mad Dad Movie Pod. And finally, if you have any questions, comments, or requests, you can always Always email them to maddadmoviereview at gmail.com. So, with all that being said, got that all out of the way, let's uh, hop on into the nitty gritty. So, let's get down to the nitty gritty. So, Halloween 2 was released on October 30th, 1981 from Universal Pictures. It opened up in first place. Opening weekend gross seven point five million. Total gross twenty five point five million on a budget of only two point five million. So yes, Halloween two was a financial success for Universal, who went on to finance the follow up, the great. Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, which I will be talking about on Wednesday. So we'll talk about that then. Let's talk about this now. Um, the players involved. Nah, the crew involved. Sorry. Uh, the film, directed by Mr. Rick Rosenthal, produced by Deborah Hill and John Carpenter, written for the screen by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, music by John Carpenter and How- Alan Howarth, Edited by Mark Goldblatt and Skip Skolnick. Cinematography by the great legendary Dean Cundy. The players, aha, involved. Jamie Lee Curtis returning as Laurie Strode. Same goes for Donald Pleasance. He's returning as Dr. Sam Loomis. Dick Warlock taking over for Nick Castle as The Shape, Michael Myers. Charles Cyphers returns briefly as Sheriff Brackett. Lance Guest is in this as Jimmy. Nancy Stevens also returning as Marion Chambers. 
Pamela Susan Shoup as Nurse Karen, Hunter Van, I'm sorry, Hunter Von Leer as Deputy Hunt, Leo Rossi as Bud, Anna Alicia as Nurse Janet, and finally Tawny Moyer as Nurse Jill. All right, so the Critics' Corner, Halloween 2. It has a current Rotten Tomatoes score of 30% from 40 reviews, a meta score of 40 from 11 reviews, and a letterboxed average score of 3.2 out of 5. Roger Ebert says, Halloween 2 represents a fall from greatness that doesn't even attempt to do justice to the original. Kevin Thomas from the LA Times said, Halloween 2, as a reprise, simply piles up a greater number of corpses. Uh, Roman Cooney from Calgary Herald said, "This The film is not like the bloodbath other movies of its irk that have been. Several of the murders are so gruesome to be tasteless and more than merely distressing. Um... Basically, all the critics around this time uh, generally compared this to 81's other sequel, Friday the 13th Part 2, and other slashers around that era. Um, you got to remember, guys, this is 1981. Literally every weekend, there's a different slasher film being released, and I think 36 total slasher films were released just in 1981. Just in the year of 81, there were 36 slasher films. So uh, business was booming for the hard community back then. Uh, and finally, I got a quote from uh, David Peary from Time Out Magazine, quoted saying, Rosenthal is no carpenter, but he makes a fair job of emulating the latter's visual style in this sequel. So, you know, tough love from some, but not all from others. Uh, why do I love this film, you ask? Well, I love this film because of that gnarly skull that's inside of the opening credits pumpkin. I love this film because of the hot tub because the hot tub kill is one of my favorite franchise kills. I love this film because I know this is something Jamie Lee Curtis did for the fans. I love it because of Michael's iconic tears of blood shot. I love this film because that shot of Michael coming from the darkness never gets old. I love Halloween 2 because of Mrs. Elrod and her husband's mayonnaise and mustard sandwich condiments. I love it because they at least try to make the same night plot work. I love it because of Donald Pleasance. He's just a delight to watch. I love this film because of Nurse Chambers and her chain-smoking affair. I love this film because of barbed wire apples. And finally, I love this film because I've been trick-or-treated to death tonight. Alright, so this is the part of the episode where I talk about the origins, the origins of this film. Alright, I started to write the origins down, but I'm like, what am I doing? I know this because I've seen enough documentaries and, and heard enough stories to just pretty much wing this. So this part I'm going to. Uh, originally, um, Carpenter was hesitant to do a sequel. He felt that he made his masterpiece. Why do a follow-up? But, of course, uh, executive producers Urban Yablins and Mustafa Akkad had other plans. And since they controlled the money, they were the ones who pushed for a sequel and got the financial um, help from Italian producer Dino De Laurentiis as well as Universal Pictures stepping in to, to offer some uh, mula to get this done. So the way it went down is Carpenter pretty much locked himself away with a lot of beer and churned out this screenplay in like a weekend or something like that. Yeah, um... Pretty much did it for a payout, and because you know it, it, it's it's. it's I, I don't know if it was something that he was forced to do. This is this. I know the majority of this story. Um, so more or less, the the importance of it is is Carpenter obviously ended up doing the film. He ended, he didn't direct. He wrote it. Him and um, 
his girlfriend, or no, his ex at the time, but his good friend and partner, um, Deborah Hill, just like the first one, did the screen did the screenplay for this, and turned it in. And Tommy Lee Wallace, who was the editor of the first film, as well as pff, he played the shape in a couple scenes. He did the the um, some of the makeup and and designs and whatnot, and did a lot of helping out around. You know, because like I mentioned in the first episode, uh, the first uh, Halloween's episode, um, it, everyone was just kind of doing this and that around set. Like, not no one was really assigned to just one thing. Everyone was kind of helping out each other. It was kind of a family on set, that that kind of vibe. So, Tommy Lee Wallace is um, famously known for. He's the one who created the Michael Myers mask. He's the one who took the William Shatner mask, cut the eye holes out a little bit bigger. Did some paint and spray and plucked out the. He did his work and turned that Shatner mask into the iconic Michael Myers mask that it is today. So he looked. He got a hold of the script, and his excitement to direct the second film went away quickly. He was not happy. He hated all the gore and what and and, and everything in the story. He just did not like it. Didn't want anything to do with it, even though he did end up... Um, I know he does some ADR work in this, as well as... Uh, I, I do believe he came back to do um, makeup. Not makeup. Well, yeah, art and makeup. Um, could be wrong, but I, I do believe he did, or at least played a part in this film. I know he at least did ADR work, because his voice is definitely in this. Um, I got some of that later on to talk about. Um so he turned it down because he wanted to do the whole his idea was like John and Deborah's original idea and they wanted to turn Halloween into a anthology series focused on Halloween so every year in October there would be a different movie released that centered around Halloween but it this is something that I'm really going to be talking into talking about more or laying into in the next episode because this is kind of a Halloween 3 story more than it is a Halloween 2 story. So, um, yeah, put a pin on that and uh, we'll get back to this in that one. So, back to the production of this. Erwin, um, one of the executive producers, uh, wanted John to do the second one right away. John was in the middle of doing The Fog. So... Irwin and John talked about doing a two-picture deal, and that is when Irwin went to Khan and was excited about the deal. It was more of a handshake agreement. There was nothing signed or no contract or anything, anything like that. It was just a gentleman's agreement, and Carpenter ended up signing with um, Bob Real with – I think that's his name. I think that's his name with um, – Avco Embassy Pictures, he actually did sign the paper for a two-picture deal, which was The Fog and then Escape from L.A. No, Escape from New York. And he ended up getting sued by Irwin, and the settlement was he had to write. That's how he got involved in the writing of this, is that that was the uh, the court he had to write the script, even though he didn't. He wasn't forced to direct, but he did have to do at least write the script. So yeah, that that makes more sense now. With the whole beer and sitting back and spending a blah 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 and doing this and Tommy Lee hating the script. Yeah. Um. So that's that's the origins more or less. Uh, Rick Rosenthal was brought in to direct. He is uh he was handpicked by Carpenter, an old friend, and yeah. The rest is history. I believe the rest, the majority of the cast was, or not cast, but the crew were people from the first film, minus the, the, the big ones, Deborah and John. But everything else, everyone else for the most part, even Dean Cundy, he came back. Dean Cundy was supposed to film, was supposed to shoot Poltergeist out of his respect, you know, and dedication to Hill and Carpenter. He opted out of. He he didn't do Poltergeist. He did Halloween too instead. That's that that all ties into that family atmosphere from the first film. That you know, it's just so 
embracing and and uh, inspiring. So yeah. All right, so let's jump into this plot for Halloween 2, shall we? Halloween 2 kicks off with the Cordettes, Mr. Sandman, playing over the opening Universal Pictures logo. From then, we get text that says, Haddonfield, Illinois, October 31st, 1978. And then we're treated to the first film's finale. Pretty much everything from the Lori Michael closet encounter onward. Uh, the only difference now is when Loomis comes up to shoot Michael off the balcony, we hear seven gunshots as opposed to six in the first film, as well as the shot coming from outside instead of inside. And the reason for that is because in this film, Michael is shot off the front balcony and not the back because the house in the three years since production of the first film, they went through a remodel. So they kind of changed it up in production to the front balcony. I guess kind of hoping that fans wouldn't notice when it's painfully obvious that it's different. But hey, it is what it is. I still enjoy the movie. It, I, it only takes... It, it, it's, I only deduct a half a point for that. Just a half. Just a half. All right? Still got many more to go. Um... And then Michael, not Michael, Loomis comes outside to check on Michael and he's gone, just like in the first film. And then we get the next door neighbor coming outside, uh, voiced by Tommy Lee Wallace, and we get this exchange. What's going on out here? Call the police. Tell the sheriff I shot him. Who? Tell him he's still on the loose. Is this some kind of joke? I've been trick-or-treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. And then that rolls into the opening credits. Once again, played over a jack-o'-lantern, uh, different cutout, different carving. Um, this one is just a lot more boring, I should say. But the difference is this time, we the camera pans on the pumpkin as it slowly starts to open itself up. And it reveals a creepy-ass dark skull that's inside of it. And uh, it's pretty gnarly. I'm not going to lie. It's always been one of the standout moments of this film, I think, is that opening credit skull. Um, so then after that, we're reintroduced to Michael, his POV, in an alley. Um, he's kind of avoiding, kind of trying to get away from Loomis and the cops. Um you see him kind of like creep in the corners and poke his head out and go back. Meanwhile, he encounters um, Mrs. Elrod and obtains her uh, carving knife and leaves behind a drip of blood that freaks her out. Meanwhile, uh, her husband's in the living room uh, watching Night of the Living Dead. Three cheers! Three cheers for public domain. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, um, he goes and we we're, we see Alice, who lives next door. And Michael goes in and actually kills Alice. Uh, she's freaked out because her friend's on the phone with her telling her about... Have you heard the news? There was a few uh, high schoolers that were killed. They never caught the guy. This is Alice's first time hearing the news, and it's freaking her out. And cool, 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 cool. I love this shot. Cool effect. Cool, I mean, not, not effect, but cool um, shot of Michael in the background. You see the door while she's on the phone with her friend. The door slowly open up in the background, and then you see Michael walk in and then walk out of focus. It's... uh. It's a pretty cool shot. Um, it, it kind of like it, it ties in with the first one and, and all the creepy shots from that one that I've I found still effective to this day. You know, um, speaking of Miss Elrod, mayonnaise on your sandwich, and mustard. What the fuck kind of sandwiches are you making, lady? It's weird. 
And that carving table, fun fact, uh, Sean Clark from Horace Holograms, he now has that carving table. He went to film a episode for Halloween too, and apparently the the previous uh, homeowner who was denying Sean for years prior um, passed away, and so the, he happened to catch, uh, I guess, the sister, I believe, of the homeowner or the former homeowner. And she was just getting rid of things and like gutting out the kitchen and everything to sell it. And he asked if he could take the kitchen, the uh, cutting board. And she was like, uh, sure, I guess. And so, yeah, that's that. Um, and Alice's death, sh- death scene. Um, <laughs> God, obvious reshoot. Um, there were a bunch of reshoots for more gore. Um, to kind of tie into a lot of the other 80s slasher films at that time because, you know, the first one is, like, known for its little to no blood, whereas this one just does a complete 180 and is... It's pretty bloody compared to the first one. I mean, it's not the bloodiest of slasher films. I mean, to, to paint a picture, the majority of slasher films in the 80s had to battle with the MPA, but not... Not these guys, not not um, Carpenter and Company and whatnot and Universal. They submitted this and got an R rating first try, so it's pretty cool. Um, so this is where the police arrive at the scene and they they take Laurie out on a stretcher and uh, load her into a medic with Bud and Jimmy, and then uh, they're off to the hospital and. This wig on Jamie Lee Curtis. God, can we talk about this wig, please? Hold on. Jesus, this wig. All right. Um, so at this time, this was the tail end of Jamie Lee Curtis's horror career. Um, she did about six horror films. After that, that, that was it. I think she did this, and then she did a film called Road Games, and after that, boom, she was done until years later and we got h2o but that's another story for another episode so her hair was short at this time and really short for reference check out uh john landis's trading places in 83 her hair is very short like a bob cut in that and that's exactly how it is in this but you'll never know because she's wearing this freaking wig that doesn't resemble anything like her hair in the first film at all it's off color it's got this weird part in the middle it's just it's not her hair from the first at all i don't know who signed off on this thing but someone done goofed um so yeah they're they're off to the hospital um what's next oh yeah um a woman and her son are arriving at Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. This kid has got a bloody mouth and he's like holding like galls and stuff. Now, all my life, literally up until this year, probably earlier this year, that's how recent it is that I discovered this. All my life, I thought that kid had a, a tooth came out. Or, or his tooth was loose. I thought I thought he had a tooth problem. And that's where all that blood was coming from. No. He's got a fucking razor blade lodged in his mouth from eating apples. So it's like they took that whole razor blade apples myth and they ran with it and put that in this movie. This dated myth. Um it's just it's just weird it's it's a weird thing to include in this movie um and i i still i'm still to this day on the fence about that and you know i was watching the film earlier and i'm like yeah what what is, what is the purpose of this it's just i don't know it's it's a dated reference if anything so then Laurie's being checked in and we meet the staff including this dr mixter um this is an actual quote of dialogue from the movie. Where's Dr. Mixter? Um, he's been at the country club. I think he's drunk. And then the doctor appears looking like he just woke up and says, Janet, 
get me some more coffee. Wow. Yeah. And then he proceeds to come over to Lori and starts checking her um checking her out and injecting her. I mean, this guy's just halfway hung over to the moon and he's just got needles and injecting this poor girl who's freaking out and she's pleading with them to to, to not put her out and he's just like oh no 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 you'll, you'll be okay it's like man tie one on brother tie one on <laughs> so yeah that's that scene and afterward uh we get more loomis and bracket searching they're in the car um more dark dialogue from Loomis. Um, and it is, it's at this point we see Ben Tramer, and this is the infamous Ben Tramer death scene where he comes out. And so let's let's talk about this scene for a second. So in the scene, they're talking, Brackett and Loomis, and then all of a sudden, mid-sentence, Brack, uh, Loomis calls out for Brackett to stop because he sees Michael. Well, it's this dude with a trick-or-treat bag of candy. So he's clearly, A, not Michael, just off of that alone. Because he's, he's rocking a trick-or-treat bag. And he's wearing, like, I think regular pants and a and a windbreaker jacket. Like, not resembling the overall getup that Michael's wearing at all. Yeah, the mask is sort of similar, but the mask has, like, bleached hair. And it's clearly not the same mask. It's clearly not the same build. It's clearly not Michael Myers. But for plot purposes, we're going to have Loomis come out like a madman, firing off like a cowboy. And instead of hitting this poor kid who's just trying to quickly walk away from the situation, he ends up getting hit by, ran by a clearly not paying attention to his driving cop who then proceeds to ram him into a van that explodes upon impact, and Ben Tramer is now Burn Tramer. It is something else, this freaking moment. So we get more hospital shots, and then this is the scene where Jimmy starts... It's the first of a handful of scenes that he tries sneaking into Laurie's room while she's just trying to rest and everything, and he's trying to come in there and put the moves on her, and it's doesn't really, it's not a good look for Jimmy. It it makes me cringe every time. Like I was just watching it today earlier. Like ah, oh, really, dude, really, really. And he's just coming in and trying to be sweet with her and making conversation and whatnot. And it, and this other nurse comes in and keeps on breaking it away. It's um actually it's it's Nurse Janet. She keeps on coming in and breaking it off, you know. And she's kind of like Laurie's savior for a couple of moments. And uh, yeah, it's it's a weird. It doesn't really hold up to me. It's it's just a really really weird moment. Um. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not digging it at all. Um, what else here? What's what's next? Uh, the Wallace House scene. Annie's brought out. Okay, so this is where Annie's come brought out the uh the one, Nancy Keys cameo. Um, they pretty much brought her back, three years later to let make her lay down in a stretcher and paint bl- uh, blood around her neck. Which is funny because I don't know what version of Halloween one these people were watching when they were taking notes to do the second one, but the Hollywood, the Hollywood, the Halloween that I'm used to, that I grew up on, Annie Brackett gets choked out in her car and gets stabbed. Not. There's no throat slitting going on whatsoever. Not sure where that came from, whose idea that was, why it even happened, but yeah, I'm not under, I'm not understanding why Annie's neck is slit in this movie. I'm not. I'm not. But what I am understanding is the seriousness of Sheriff Brackett when he says, Damn you, what have you done? You let him out. Just it's an excellent exiting moment from Charles Cyphers himself. 
it's it's a very brief moment. I think we're only at the twenty minute mark at this at this point, and that's it. He's out. We get Deputy uh, Hunt in his place for the remainder of the movie. So yeah. Um, so now we're at Mike. Michael finds out where Laurie is thanks to Boombox Boy. Michael's walking around the palm, the streets of Haddonfield, and he encounters Boombox Boy. It's just a kid in a cowboy hat walking around with the boombox over his shoulder. And they talk about the there's a news report, and it tells at the end of the report where they have taken the survivor, Lloyd Strode. And Michael hears this and um, proceeds to start heading towards the uh, hospital because there's arrows conveniently set up pointing the direction of where to go. So, yeah, that's that's that moment. Um, oh, and fun fact that Boom, Boombox Boy is played by Billy Warlock, who is Dick Warlock's son. Dick Warlock as in Michael Myers from this film. So, yeah, nice little fact. Um... Michael arrives at the hospital now, um, and I, I at this it's at this point I have to say something. Um, not even a half hour in, and I feel like we've seen Michael's eyes way too much. I think it kills the darkness and mystery of the Myers character. Um, yeah, that character that Carpenter established so perfectly in the original. Um, here he's just an, another lunatic in a mask, like most slasher films around this time. So I'm not, I'm not feeling the eyes thing because there's a shot of when he arrives at the hospital, you see him from a car's uh, mirror, side mirror, and you know, a cool shot. But again, I'm not feeling all these eyes because in the first one, it, it defeats the purpose of the whole. He had the darkest eyes, the devil's eyes line from the first film. It's like, no, it's it's Dick Warlock's eyes. It's not the devil's eyes. That's not the devil's eyes. It's Dick's eyes. That's what I'm seeing. You keep showing them like that. That's how I'm going to see it. So, Michael, uh, no, wrong scene. Uh, just, you know, more hospital. Like, this movie's filled with just a lot of hospital filler. Because they just they got this hospital that they could shoot in, and they just took full advantage, I guess. Um, Michael's entering the hospital through the back door, and then we get uh, more Michael stalking, more Jimmy and Laurie, um, and then this is the scene where Jimmy tells Laurie about who tried to kill her, because she, at this point, doesn't know. And now she knows, and she's about to find out uh, that, uh, well, she's going to put two and two together. But, yeah, now now she officially knows that Michael Myers is the one who is after her. All right. So from then on, the next up is the security guard, his death scene. And basically he goes and checks on something and has one of the nurses stay behind with the two-way walkie-talkie who just can't operate the thing to save her life. Meanwhile, he's checking on things in the, um, a couple of areas, and he ends up stumbling upon a couple closets and nothing inside. Guard closes the door, and Michael's on the other side of the door when it's closed, and he takes a hammer and hits him through the head at the top of his head with the hammer claw just goes right through the poor sucker's head so he's gone um that hammer claw death always makes my head pound <laughs> so now we get the ben tramer autopsy scene um it's just the the autopsy examiner the medical examiner telling hunt and loomis that it's going to take hours for dental records and Loomis is, you know, we don't have all this time, we don't have this time, we don't have hours, blah, blah, blah. A lot of dialogue back and forth, which leads to the Myers House riot. Haddonfield is a pretty quiet town before tonight. The only uh, gunshots you ever heard were start the track meet at the local high school. Yet one night in 1963, Michael Myers 
did murder his sister in that upstairs bedroom with a large butcher knife. I remember. On Halloween. I was 16 years old. It's his anniversary, Mr. Hunt. He came back. After 15 years? He waited with extraordinary patience. There was a force inside him, biding its time. The staff grew accustomed to his immobility and silence. In many ways, he was the ideal patient. He, he didn't talk, he didn't cry, he didn't even move. He just waited. The staff was unprepared. They didn't know what he was. Did you know? Yeah, I knew. You know, uh, by the time half the town of Haddonfield's destroying the Myers house, how late do you think it is, given that everything that's been going on since the halfway point of the first film, when the night originally started? I mean, don't these people sleep? I mean, remember, this is still the same night as the first film, when everything is happening, and they're just in this scene. There's like tens of them, tens of hundreds of these people out there just throwing shit and destroying shit, you know? Um, I mean, the deputy says at the end of the scene that it's 11 o'clock, but I'm not buying it. <laughs> I'm just not. I'm sorry. Uh, next up is Bud and Nurse Karen. They fool around a little bit in the room. Fool around a little bit too much, and Bud ends up hurting his finger. I think he mentions he broke it. Um, regardless, that guy is something else. Um, Lori, next scene is Lori dreaming of Michael. And I'm pretty sure this is it. This is when uh, she, Lori starts, she suddenly starts remembering childhood memories to images of dripping blood because of something Jimmy told her about the killer being Michael Myers. I wonder how many beers Carpenter was into by the time he wrote this reveal because it is some sloppy horseshit. My two cents. I've always hated this reveal. It doesn't make any sense. You get the dripping, like, giallo blood. It's freaking weird. I don't know. It, you know, it's not a perfect film. It really isn't, but it's still one that I dig. Anywho, um, next up is the hot tub death scene, which is, like, the film's most iconic death. Do you agree or disagree? Um, Laurie... No, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the school is next. This is the school scene where Loomis, Donald Pleasance, just butchers the pronunciation of Samhain and calls it Sam Hain. <laughs> and, of course, they go with it. I guess no one on set was... They, I guess no one had the nerve to correct Donald Pleasance when he made that mistake because it definitely... In that, in the final product, it's like, okay, you really know what you're talking about. Can't even pronounce the damn word. Um, oh, and then, then, and then Nurse Chambers enters the fray and says that um, she has orders to bring Loomis back with her to Smith Grove. And it's funny when she comes in and starts talking, trying, trying to get Loomis's attention. He's like looking at her with this weird stare. And then like, there's like a. A few minutes of weird, awkward silence, and then he goes, "Oh, I didn't recognize you." Just, just, just like that in that tone. It's just the most weirdest, most bizarre like reaction like ever. It's great though. It's funny. It's funny stuff. Um, now we get Jimmy visiting Laurie again. Sees that she's catatonic now, and rushes to get help. Now. This is a weird decision in general. It's a weird decision to suddenly make Lori catatonic to accelerate the plot. Um, one thing it does do right, though, is that it, it leads to my favorite shot of the film, which is Michael coming out of pitch darkness to kill Nurse Janet after she finds Mixter's body, which is the scene coming up. Um, yeah, she comes in and sees Dr. Mixter has a syringe in his eyeball and he's and he's um sitting back in his you know his um chair dead 
and she kind of backs up scared, and it's dark. It's pitch darkness in the background, and then all of a sudden you start seeing Michael's mask slowly start to glow more and more until he pops out, puts his hand around her mouth, and injects her um, cranium with a air, but with uh, just air. That's it. That's what kills her. Um, instant hemorrhage, right? Is that how that works? Listeners, email me. right in. Let me know. <laughs> uh, Lori, uh, she, this is, okay, yeah, this is the scene where she's hiding um, in another room. Uh, Dr. Jill, or Nurse uh, Janet, not Janet, um, Jill is looking around like, where is everybody? Um, I think all she finds is Jimmy, and he's like kind of concerned too. And he says he's going to go look for help. And he goes and finds Nurse Janet's body, again, with the bright red giallo blood and an abundance of blood in it for that matter, too. It's just supposed to be all blood coming from this one person where it just looks like gallons came out of her. Like, I don't know. It's weird. Uh, he turns, speaking of weird, he turns in the scene to pivot out to run and go let, get help and slips and knocks his, knocks himself out. Just boom, knocks himself in the head, you know. Um, where are we at now? Laurie, no, 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 no. Nurse Jill decides, no, this is where Nurse Jill goes out and discovers that all the cars have slit tires and then she comes in and that leads to her death scene. Now, it's at this point of the movie, exactly one hour in, where I'm starting to seriously miss Nick Castle's portrayal of the shape. I'm a Dick Warlock fan. Let me get that out there right away, right off the bat. I am a Dick Warlock fan, but I've never, ever, for the life of me, agreed on his walk. The walk that he does, where Castle's walk was a lot bigger and broader and more threatening... I don't know what Dick Warlock's doing with this walk in this movie. Now, apparently, according to him, Deborah Hill also had a thing to say about it after the fact, but his defense was, well, Deborah Hill was on set, and he saw she saw me do the walk every day and never once came up to me and said, hey, can you change that walk and give it more? Because the dude is so stiff, especially the shot where he's chasing Laurie and he's walking down the steps. Like, his whole body's like just like stuck together he's like a big walking plank it's weird as hell looking it's goofy it's too slow love the guy i think he plays a solid michael myers except for that damn walk um you know jimmy's the poster boy for rallying himself help but then knocking himself out you know the rest of the movie slips on a puddle of blood and it's just like a lot of help you're gonna be dude you know, I love that rally. It's like a little mini rally, and then rah rah, and then he goes and sees a body, and he turns, pivots, slips, and he's gone. You see him one more time in a little bit, and that's it. So Jill's dead, and Chase, uh, Michael starts chasing Laurie, and um, a lot of cool red shots in the basement when he's coming after her. She hops through a window. Which, funny enough, looking back, watching this again, I noticed that Michael, it doesn't show it, but it insinuates that Michael jumps up and crawls through that window also, which I kind of would have liked to have seen that shot of, of him chasing her in that scene. Um, she goes out to the car and hides in the parking lot, goes to a car, gets inside, hides down. Must be Jimmy's car because he comes back flailing out and, and or like a zombie gets into the car that Lori's in hiding he looks down says he's gonna get help or whatever and goes to turn the car on and he's just out he falls he collapses he's 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 too concussed he's my boy is concussed so jimmy takes a nap his head down on the steering wheel which sets off a non-stop honk noise sound whatever which, in time, notifies Michael after she pulls him back and it stops. Um, Loomis shows up with Chambers. Okay, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. 
So uh, Loomis was ordered back to see uh, the hospital with Nurse Marion, and he ends up shooting a gun in the car with the cop that's escorting them. And he's like, "What do you, what do you do about a warning shot?" You know, it's it's a funny scene. Um, Loomis making the deputy turn around by firing off a warning shot. It's it's funny as shit. and then, like I said, Jimmy entering the climax only to give up Lori's hiding spot is such an odd sequence that's always felt weird as shit to me. Um, so then we're back to Michael. Uh, I'm sorry, Loomis and the cop and Chambers. They all arrive at the hospital to go inside. Well, before they go inside, Lori sees them and she gets out of the car and starts crawling. Suddenly, Lori can't scream. I've always hated this. I've always hated how Laurie suddenly can't scream for help when she sees Loomis but until he goes inside. When he goes inside, that's when the help comes out and she can scream all over again. It's like, really, Plot? You're really, you're really, you're really stretching and you're really pissing me off in the process. Um, and then... Michael finds her as she's screaming finally, and he chases her through the parking lot into the hospital. She gets inside with Loomis and the rest of them. So they're all, so Loomis and Lori are reunited. And then there's this shot of Michael slowly walking through the glass door. And when he does, it collapses as well as the handlebar. It is some eye rolling shit that has not aged well at all. And then the deputy, because what happens is he gets shot and falls down, of course. And the deputy's like, checking on him, like, he's dead, he ain't breathing. And then Lewis is like, get away from him, he's not dead. And the deputy's like, oh, he looks dead, he gets down. And then what happens next is the weirdest edit of the film. At first, it looks like Michael is jumping up when the deputy stupidly checks on him, but then it quickly cuts away and back to Michael rolling him over, already on the ground, to slit his throat. Reason for this being is his death was reshot to be more graphic. You know, see Alice earlier in the film. Um, so yeah, he gets killed. Um, the nurse runs out. She goes for help, I believe, gets sent out for help. And we get the climax, which is Laurie, Loomis, and Michael in this gas room. Uh, Laurie is given a gun. She's a hell of a shot because she fires off two rounds and they both hit Michael in each eye. And then that's when we get the iconic Tears of Blood look. It's a legendary shot. Um, My favorite he goes and he's holding his eyes because he can't see anymore because they were shot out and he's blindly swinging his scalpel and then Loomis is setting off all these um, gases so Michael can't it's drowning out the sound Michael finally is approaching Loomis Michael says let's go time to come home something like along those lines and he lights a his lighter in front of the thing which Sets off a huge explosion. Um, oh, before prior to this, Lori got out. Loomis told Lori to get out, which she did. And huge explosion takes Loomis and Michael together. Um, and I, I've always thought his death in this it was like a clever tactic of blinding him and resorting to noise to lure him into his death trap. And then what follows is like this badass shot of him walking on fire out of the room towards Laurie and then he just collapses and then we're treated to just the next morning outside reporters again um this blonde reporter and Dana Carvey it's funny I never met I forgot to mention it earlier um in the movie with the reporters the first time Dana Carvey is in this movie a very young Dana Carvey yeah Garth from Wayne's World He's in two scenes. Um, if you know what you're looking for and who it is, um, he's, you see him for at least a minute or two, like total, between these two scenes. Doesn't have any dialogue. According to him, he did have some lines, but they were cut, obviously. Um, and I believe it because the person he's talking to, it's this blonde reporter um, who also um, looks like she had a bigger role at one point, but I guess got cut 
Um, I think the novelization I read, she got was actually killed by Michael. Um, so yeah. So that's pretty much it. Lori gets loaded into the back of a medic and it takes off, or an ambulance and it takes off. And I'm just left with one question. So is the theatrical cut just going to forget about Jimmy altogether? Because like I said, we last saw Jimmy pass out from the concussion and that was it. Where the director's cut, when that ambulance takes off, there's an extended scene with her in the back and there's a little jump scare. Someone pops up in a stretcher next to hers, but it is um, Jimmy. And turns out he survived the horror deal as well. So you see the the medic take off, and you hear um, Mr. Sandman playing again, and then it turns to a shot, a closing shot of Michael's mask just burning, um, burn, burn, burn to Mr. Sandman. It's kind of an iconic um, shot, at least for horror, it is. So, and that. My friends, is Halloween 2. Alright, a few things before I wrap this episode up. First thing, of course, I do have some trivia for this film. First being the, the mask itself. So in the first one, the infamous mask used by Nick Castle, there were three made and one was brought back for this movie. Um, Deborah Hill asked Nick Castle if he had a mask if he had his mask laying around, he said, yeah. She said, great, we need it. You know, we're doing this film, the second one, and we need some uh, some guidance or whatnot. She used some excuse for him to, to borrow the mask, and he lent it to her, and she never gave it back. So that mask in part two is heavily rumored to be the same mask that Nick Castle wore in the first film. This is the only film in the series to show the morning after Halloween. Uh, it's also, the I've already said this one earlier, the voice of the Doyle's next-door neighbor is by Tommy Lee Wallace. Rick Rosenthal, the director, he's the only director of the films to direct to. Uh, he directed this, and he came back for the... 2002 installment, Halloween Resurrection, which... Oh, man, I don't know if you've seen that movie before, but stay tuned. I might talk about that film for shits and giggles one of these days. The top, the, the top gun, the hot tub water used in the hot tub scene was cold and dirty. And Pamela Shoup said that it actually gave her an ear infection. Originally planned to be shot in 3D with Deborah Hill directing... Obviously, that didn't happen. None of that. Tommy Lee Wallace hated the script and turned down directing. Yeah, I talked about that. The Blonde Report, I talked about that. I talked about that. I talked about that. Wow, I'm just going through trivia as I go through the episode. Um, and Jamie Lee Curtis only has less than 25 minutes of screen time. So that's the trivia for this. There's something else I wanted to talk about real quick before I wrap this up. There was something that happened called the Halloween 2 murders. I don't know. I came. I stumbled upon this doing my research for the episode. Um, this is what I came to. This is what I found. An incident with minor connections to the film heightened attitudes about the potent effects of media violence on young people. On December 7th, 1982... Richard Delmer Boyer of, Mont of El Monte, California, murdered Francis and Elaine Harbitz, an elderly couple in Fullerton, California, leading to the trial People versus Moyer, 89. The couple were stabbed 43 times by Moyer. According to the trial transcript, Boyer's defense was that he suffered from hallucinations in the Harbitz residence brought on by the movie Halloween 2 which defendant had seen under the influence of PCP, marijuana, and alcohol. The film was played for the jury, and a psychopharmacologist pointed out various similarities between its scenes and the visions defendant described. 
Boyer was found guilty and sentenced to death. The incident became known as the Halloween True Murders and was featured in a short segment on MTV's Monster Vision, hosted by film critic Joe Bob Briggs. Following the trial, moral critics came to the defense of horror films and rejected calls to ban them. Thomas M. Sippos, for instance, stated, It would be silly, after all, to ban horror films just because Boyer claims to have thought he was reenacting Halloween 2, or to ban cars because Texas housewife Clara Harris intentionally ran down and killed her husband, nor does it make sense to ban otherwise useful items such as drugs or guns just because some individuals misuse them. Got a point. All right, let's bring this home now. Halloween 2 has a body count of 12. Now, I've noticed a lot of people counted only 10, but I also count Loomis and Michael, even though they're brought back in later films. For this film, because I look at it as there are no future films when I'm watching this. It is the here and now. I see Michael and Loomis go. I count Michael and Loomis, so my body count is 12. Uh, the unbi- My unbiased MVP of this film goes to Donald Pleasance. Why? Because the man is a legend, and he's great in this movie, and I don't know who else you would even consider giving the award to. It's Donald Pleasance. Come on. Jamie Lee Curtis, she's in the film for 20 minutes. Come on, guys. My Be Kind Rewind most rewatchable moment goes to the Michael Myers chase sequence when he's chasing Laurie through the basement of the hospital. It's just... A scene that's always stuck out. I think it's an intense scene. A couple of moments when he almost catches her. It's pretty effective. Uh, Hey, it's a horror movie. It's a scary movie, and I think it's a scary chase. So, yeah, that's mine. My double feature pairing is a a film called The Fun House that came out the same year as Halloween 2. Watch these films together. They're both fun little slasher films. Um that have their own little unique twists involved. Um, give it a whirl. It's 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 a good one. Halloween 2 and the Funhouse. I've done it myself before, so now I am suggesting that you guys now try it. The Funhouse, Halloween 2, put them together, try and emphasize, see how you like it. Star Power. All right, so... Normally, I give films four, four and a half, sometimes even five stars, but Halloween 2, for as much as I love this movie, because I, I, I do, I love, I love, I do love Halloween 2, I'm giving this three and a half stars. I, I, I have to. I, I feel it would, I would feel terrible giving it four stars because I don't feel it's a four star film. There's a couple of moments involved that. I wish pushed a little more to reach that four star level, but Halloween 2 is a three and a half star film, in my opinion. Convinced me otherwise. <laughs> Alright, so I think that's uh I think that's gonna be it for this one. Um I have Halloween three coming up in a couple of days that I'm excited for. And on Friday Friday's film, uh, what's on the schedule? I'm trying to think. What do I have on there? Um, bear with me. Friday's film. Boop, 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 boop. Friday's film. Oh, yeah. Pet Cemetery 2. I'm taking it back. Um, <clears throat> I, I covered the first one this past Friday, and after talking about it and doing that episode, I just I, I, I want to do the second one. I really do. I want to do that. I want to talk about that. I think it's a really fun movie. Um, I, I think Pet Cemetery 2 is a sequel that stands on its own merit. And I'm going to talk about that a lot more in detail this Friday. Until then, I want to let everyone know that they can listen to previous episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, and wherever else you enjoy your favorite shows. You can follow us on Facebook.com at Mad Dad Movie Review, Instagram.com at Mad Dad Movie Review, YouTube.com at Mad Dad Movie Review, and Twitter.com at Mad Dad Movie Pod. And finally, if you have any questions, email. Blah. 
questions, comments, or requests, you can always email them to maddadmoviereview at gmail.com. And with that being said, my name is Ed. This has been another episode of the Halloween Horrorthon, and I hope to see you again on Wednesday for Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Take care, guys. Thank you.